Mindfulness Mode 139. She was uh, pretty scared, I think, at that point, and that's when I, uh, I just yelled at her and I told her to throw the baby. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. On our last episode, I talked with Zephan Blacksburg about coloring and mindfulness and how you can use this to lose anxiety. As a thank you for listening today, I've created five free guided meditations called Fine-Tune Your Focus. Download them at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash focus. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited to have Dave Sanderson here today. Hey, Dave, are you in mindfulness mode? I am totally mindful and centered today, Bruce. How are you? I am too, and feeling really good. I can't wait to hear more about your story, Dave. Dave Sanderson, Mindful Tribe, was the last passenger to leave the plane, which landed on the Hudson River in January 2009. This was the story featured in the upcoming film Sully, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Tom Hanks. Since that incident, Dave has built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, and author. In his presentations, he shares the 12 pillars of resourcefulness, precepts that enabled him to become a top producer in some of the largest sales organizations in the world and ultimately enabled him to survive the plane crash. In his new book, Moments Matter, Dave discusses lessons learned from the miracle on the Hudson and how to take a potentially tragic experience and turn it into an opportunity to survive and thrive. So, Dave, so great to have you here. Tell us, tell Mindful Tribe, what does mindfulness actually mean to you? Mindfulness means to me is some, somebody where you're focused on doing the right thing and focused on your value set so you have a peacefulness about yourself knowing that what you're going to do will be the right thing to do based on your value set. Well, and having said that, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about one of the most exciting things I'm assuming that happened in your life and certainly potentially tragic. So let's talk about that that flight that you were on and how it ended. So I was, uh, thank you, Bruce. Just that, def- that day definitely changed my life. Uh, I was on U.S. Airways Flight 1549, the flight that was leaving LaGuardia, on January 15th, 2009, that uh, unexpectedly was uh, had a double bird strike that knocked out both engines that uh, crashed into the Hudson River. And uh, fortunately for me that uh, we had a captain and a crew and passengers that were very mindful at that time and focused on the greater good instead of themselves. And it turned out to be a, a tragedy, it turned out to be a miracle. Wow. And you were the last one off, I understand. The last passenger off. Captain Sullenberger was the last person off the plane. Right. And so I can only imagine what was going through your mind as other passengers were getting off the plane. Tell us about that moment. Well, when yeah, when I got to the aisle and it was my turn to get off, Canley, um, my game plan initially, Bruce, was get to the aisle, get up and get out. Right. But when I got to the aisle, something sort of happened and I heard my mother, who had passed away in 1997, start speaking in my head. And what I heard her tell me is, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And which 
And I tell people after I've analyzed or thought about it, is my mom gave me the choice of what was the right thing for me. She wasn't telling me what the right thing was. Right. I had to make that choice. And the right thing for me was you take care of other people first. I grew up playing sports, athletics, Boy Scouts were I was always around the team and everybody always sort of took care of and everybody had each other's backs. So mm -hmm. that's why I um, waited in the back of the plane to make sure that everybody who anybody who needed help could get out because I was fine. At that point, I knew that I was alive. But at that point, it was so dark and the water was rising on the plane. I didn't know if anybody else had any situation. So I was waiting in the back and make sure we could help get people out. And then when everybody was out, then I started making my way out of the plane. And when I got got uh, ready to get out, I went out 10F, which is the exit door on the right. There was no room on the wing or the boat for me. So that's why I was on the plane about 36 degree water, waist deep for about seven or eight minutes, waiting till it was my opportunity to uh, exit the plane. So how did you stay calm during that time, Dave? I don't know if calm would be the right uh, verb or term. I would say that I was more, I was focused. Yeah. And I think because uh, things were happening all over the place where there were boats were coming. Some people needed to move on the wing. They weren't moving. Some The boat was trying to float out into the river, and they were afraid they were going to get out in the river because no one, as I don't know, you may have read the instructions all the time on the plane. I never did. Right. Um, right. Where it's actually tethered to the plane, but no one knew that, so... That's why there was a lot of things happening. So I don't say I don't know if calm was the right term. I would say probably focused and determined, probably a better uh, way to state it. So was there a level of panic that was coming from some of the other passengers that you had to just kind of ignore? Well, I think everybody kept their heads. There were definitely some people had some elevated emotions at that point. Mm -hmm. um, some people were, I assume, probably were scared. Some people were um, just you know focused on getting out. So. There were a lot of different states going on um, during the exit in, of the plane. When on the, when, as I was going out the right side and watching, most people were pretty calm. You saw people standing on a wing from that iconic picture that somebody took. Yeah. Um, people were pretty calm, but they were definitely – it was cold, so everybody was like, you know, how am I going to get out of here now? And I think uh, that was more of the mindset that was going on than – in panic um there was a lady who had a baby on the wing she was she was uh i would say the term i've used when i speak is stifled she she didn't know what to do she was uh pretty scared i think at that point and that's when i uh i just yelled at her and i told her to throw the baby because my training bruce with my years of being a head of security for tony robbins and knowing how he managed how people manage states is when you have somebody in that stifled state that can't do anything they're locked and loaded You've got to do something radical to break them out of it. And so you yell something radical that you know that's going to get their attention. And that's what I ha that's what happened. And when I yelled that, she sort of looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. Um, but I got her attention. And then somebody else on the lifeboat um, looked up and told her to give her the baby. And she did. And that's how all of a sudden things started happening. So I think it was more people, you know, working together and f seeing how people's states were to be able to get them in the right state to make a move. Yeah, so your experience with teamwork and sports, would you say that helped you at this time? Most definitely. Most definitely. It's, and I, I tell people, it's amazing as you look back, there's 155 people who did not know each other or care about each other within six minutes pulled off something that had never been pulled off in the history of aviation. And it's amazing when, you, when people check their egos at the door and focus on the bigger picture instead of themselves, how things can happen very quickly and you can get outcomes very quickly. That is amazing. That is amazing. So tell us some of the other people you helped out that exit. Well, it's 
there were a lot of people that were, you know, were getting in and out. So there, you know, there was an, a lady in the back and that's one of the reasons I stayed in the back. There was, she was, I don't know the word elderly, but she was, um, a little more years on most of us to say it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. But she didn't want to move. She just, she didn't, she was just didn't want to leave her seat. So, you know, there's a couple of ladies that needed help to get her out. So, you know, when we, I helped get her out and the other ladies did a tremendous job of getting her out because she didn't want to move and her daughter and another lady helped her out. Um, there's another gentleman I remember who was, you know, on the, uh, on the edge of the wing there on sort of towards me that Canley didn't want to move either. So, uh, you know, he and I started sort of having a quick conversation about, you know, what, what, what's the next move. And I told him you got to, you know, when you have the opportunity to go, go. And he went. So I think, um, everybody was helping everybody trying to get through with a situation, whether you're on a lifeboat, the wing, uh, and then the other side of the plane had a totally different outcome. They, they had things going on that we didn't, we had, the thing that on the, what was different on my side of the plane, the right side of the plane, is we didn't have any crew assisting us. On the left side of the plane, the crew was assisting people and helping people. But then again, you had the helicopters coming in, dropping the aqua guys to, to, who are swimming under the plane to see if anybody was stuck inside or under the plane. So they were going in and out of the water a lot because of the, uh, the, the you know the, the rotors that right. were turning turning. So everybody had a different experience, and that's why I tell you, there's. There's 155 stories that you could be told on this, or all of them are probably totally different. Wow, wow! So, just your ability to be really focused is what helped you, and you think part of it's from sports. Is it just your personality, or were there other things in your past that really helped you be that way? Well, I, th- I think my training, you know, and sports definitely helped me, and athletics definitely helped me. But being, you know, I was always a part of a team. I was a sa- I was in sales and the sales manager at that time. I was a sales manager for a company by the name of Oracle. So I always was focused on, you know, strategies and putting things together um, to make sure we could, <laughs> excuse me, have a have a proper and good outcome for my our potential clients. But I think my time with Tony Robbins is what really helped me because I, I really raised my standards and my levels. Where, you know, he plays at a different level. And yeah. I had to match that level when I was around him. So matching that level and that state and focus, you know, I was f- focused on making sure he could do what he needed to do it in, that, in, in any moment of his time on stage or behind stage. So I think that training, being around uh, that level of leaders and people who are successful, raised my standard to the point where I had to play at a different level. So how long did you work in security with Tony Robbins? So I was I, – I was, Ultimately, 10 years. Uh, for the first couple, I was on the team. For three and a half, four years, I was the assistant head of security, which means I basically managed the, the stage team. Um, and then when, um, when the, the head of security moved on, he asked me if I'd be the head of security. So then I managed him and the stage team, which was a whole different ball game. I traveled with him around the world and had the opportunity to serve him at his highest level. So it was, um, it was a tremendous experience for me. And did you have some pretty uh, anxious moments sometimes with people trying to get to Tony or certain incidents that may have happened? Most, most definitely. People, you know, when people get around a celebrity like Tony, you know, there's always excitement and people want to have that their moment, their time. And my outcome for him was if he give him the space to do what he does best. Right. So if he wanted to interact, I made sure it happened. If he did want to interact, I had to use proper skill sets to make sure I could 
show people another alternative way to be able to get their outcome without having to have a direct contact with Tony. And that's a, that's a unique skill set. I, um, I was telling somebody the other day, I was in Philadelphia and with him when he was doing a big event and, and uh, Donald Trump was there with him and speaking for him at his event. So I got to interact with his security team. Okay. Trump security, which they handle things a whole different way than the way Tony taught us to handle things, to say it that way. So we uh, we focused on redirecting and using skill sets of neuro, you know linguistic patterns to help people refocus, where some other folks use maybe a more uh, aggressive approach uh, when someone wants to uh, get engaged. Now, I understand there are times when that needs to happen, um, but it's amazing the different skill sets you see when you're traveling that how people handle things and how you can diffuse things quickly just by using, you know, some basic skill sets than having to go immediately aggressive. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure that you were using techniques that really maintained respect while you were able, like you say, to redirect or refocus people who were in that moment. Is that right? Most definitely. It's, um, you know, I, I looked at myself always when I was with Tony as I was a reflection of him and, you know, he's in, Everywhere he moves, there's paparazzi and there's media. So anything that happens reflects on him. So I had to make sure that my, my team and myself could represent him in a way that uh, reflects that high, high level of, uh, I hate to use the word celebrity, but um, status. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, he is such an amazing trainer and doing all the the things with the fire walk and everything. Now, have you ever participated in any, any of those things that he teaches? Oh, most definitely. I've, I've done over 100 fire walks with him around the world. He does a fire walk, you know, about four or five times a year. So mm-hmm. I was always you know, with him doing that uh, when we were traveling around the world. So I've uh, I've been very honored to be able to be a part of that and help people walk on fire, get them across the fire, you know, make sure he could serve at his highest level, which is my ultimate outcome and give him the space to do what he does best to change people's lives. So tell us about the mindfulness that is required for those fire walks. It, the mindfulness you need to have, and, and from, number one, I think tell, I tell people is pay attention to instruction. There's, there's a reason he spends time up front telling you what to expect. Um, because people get very excited in that moment because it's their, it's their time to shine. But sure. pay attention to some little things that he's telling you because it could definitely help you later on. Second, and when it's time, I tell folks, when it's time to go, you got to be in a very centered, focused perspective. You have you can't be wild and crazy because there's colds, there's 1,200 degree colds all over the place. So, but you've got to be centered, center yourself. And the people I've seen that who do it ultimately successful is the ones who are centered, focused, and just pay attention to instruction and then walk and, you know, slowly and not run. And because, well, like he says, when you run, you trip, trip, you fall, fall, you get cold face, um, which is not a good look for people. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell people, you've got to be centered at that moment in time. And people, and it's a great metaphor for life because when you get to that stressful situation where we all have, and what I call Bruce is your own personal plane crash, where everybody in life will have that moment where something they're going to face something in life, whether it's a death in the family, health scare, fire, flood, car act, whatever it may be, you have your personal plane crash. You've got to be centered and, and focused. And it's all that time you prepare. You know, and I tell people that you have to have humility to prepare. I watch these Olympians, they, they were they prepared for years to get to that one moment in life. They just didn't show up and do it. It's the same thing in life. 
you know, all these things that you're learning, you never know which moment in your life is going to make that one quick difference. And it'll help you center when you're ready to, ready to uh, walk your own personal fire. Right. And you've taken all you've learned through these experiences and put it together into a book called Moments Matter. So I know that it takes a really mindful person to do that, to actually achieve that goal of writing and completing a book. So tell us when you started and how how mindful did you have to be in order to accomplish that? Well, thank you. I, I mean, and that's as, you know, you really hit the nail where a lot of people miss that distinction where it takes it takes a lot to get things like a book, you know, focused and, and ready, ready to execute. And for years, I wanted to do a book and I contributed to a book called Brace for Impact. I helped write the chapter and which is great. Right. But when it was time to do my own book, how it all came about was about three years ago this month. My former assistant Vicky and I had a conversation, and she, she said, if nothing else, record what happened that day and afterwards for your grandkids and their grandkids, so it will live on because you're not going to be there to tell them. And I said, and I told her the story about two ladies that lived down the street from us, two elderly ladies, uh, sisters, and one day you know, they'd always call me for help with their TV or answering machine or whatever, right? They just needed help, right. so I'd go down there and help as a neighbor and. But one day they had this book out on their coffee table and I, I started looking through it and it was pictures of a concentration camps. And what I found out, they showed me their wrists. They were both children in, in Bergen-Belden in, in the concentration camp during the World War II. Wow. And, and it was, I told them, I said, you need to tell your story. Just let me record it. And that way, when you're not here, this story will live. And they would never let me do it. They were so fearful slash didn't never want to talk about it. So when Vicky approached me and said that, I said, you know what? I'm not going to pass this up. So we spent about eight or nine hours on the phone recording every minute of that day and after, right afterwards. So every moment was documented. And once we got it all together, we figured out there's a lot of lessons in here that I, and skills that I used from all of my training that could really you know, not only translate to what happened that day, but what I used in business to be very successful in business. So we said, you know, there's a book here, but you know what? I, w I had all this disparate information. You know, I was like, okay, how do you do this? Sure. So I had to get centered at that moment. And when, I ha when you get centered, you, you get the right answers. You ask better level of questions. And when I asked the better question of who could help me in, in, with this, who understands me, I, I found Cindy. And Cindy uh, used to be Tony Robbins' assistant, assistant creative director. And she and I travel the world. She'd help him with his content. I was doing the security. Okay. So I called Cindy. And Cindy's gift in this world is uh, taking disparate information and being able to put it in a cohesive way that makes make make it understandable. So she listened to these tapes. I did interviews with her. She helped, and when it was time I started writing this, she would write. I would write it, and she would reformat it for me, you know, and put it together where it made sense. So that's how it really came together. And the, and the way we got the title was we were talking one day, and I just blurted out. I said, you know, one thing I've realized through this whole experience is that all the moments in my life really matter because you never know. I mean. Who would think when I had to learn how to swim back in the late 60s and that, that I had to use swimming to save my life? Who right. would ever think – who would ever – Sullenberger when he attended the Air Force Academy? Whoever thought – he probably never thought when he learned how to glide planes at the Air Force Academy that one day he'd have to glide a plane to save 155 people's lives. I'm sure he didn't. And so that's how we came up with the title Moments Matter because all the moments in your life do matter, but you just don't know which, which ones are be the ones that are going to be mindful at that moment in time that you got to execute on. So I take every moment in your life, you know, and make it make it important. Well, for sure. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you've, you've incorporated the 12 pillars of resourcefulness. Did you have those pillars of resourcefulness before you started the book, or did they come about as you wrote the book? It's a good question. I definitely had had those uh, pillars and the resourceful states that I talk about in the book, but they were they, they basically came out more as we listened to the tapes and as more I, the more interviews that I did when I started talking about things like resourcefulness and awareness and persistence and state management and sensory acuity and faith and leadership. I, all these things started coming out. It's like and that's how I said. Well, I've, I've used it in business. All these resources in business. So right. it definitely, you know, they related to what happened that day. So I, I definitely had those skill sets slash resources. But, you know, once we started figuring out how to really refine it and put it in a way people can understand it and put a story behind it, that's when it really came to life. Right. And, and now... In, in addition to the book, there's a movie coming out directed by Clint Eastwood starring Tom Hanks. Tell us about that. Were you a part of that? Were you interviewed? Were you, have you seen the movie yet? Well, I have not seen the movie. It's, uh, it's, it's premiering September 9th coming out this year. Right. Uh, so I have not seen the movie yet. But, uh, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't called or interviewed for anything. But last October, a number of us were approached by Mr. Eastwood's production company to uh, shoot some scenes for the movie. And I think we all quickly cleared our schedules to make right. sure that, make sure that we could be there on time and do it. And so we spent a day, and it came, none of us know whether any of our parts or scenes got into the movie. Okay. But I was just honored to be able to meet Mr. Eastwood. And I, one thing I learned about him is he, when he tells a hero story, he, the thing he does really great is tell the hero story, give the backstory. Because that's where the real story starts. It's not what happened that day. Right. That's pretty public knowledge. Um, it's what happened to get you to that point. And Sullenberger's story is pretty pretty interesting. And I think people are going to hear that. And when they see the, what the what was happening on the plane and how things were breaking out, I think people are going to have a better appreciation for what really happened inside that plane that day. I'm sure it will be an amazing movie. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I can't so, either. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, wow, what an exciting life. And now you've taken the experiences that you've had and you're now a speaker and you help others to get focused and grounded. Tell us about speaking. The moments before you get out there to get on the stage, how do you get centered? Well, that's one, once again, a very good question. So what I do... For about the two, so two minutes and forty-one seconds, I can sort of got it down to the second now. I actually go into a state of, of gratitude and prayer, and I, I pray for the last two minutes and forty-one seconds before I I walk on stage. And there's I have a video that runs, and that's why I know the timing of it. But when the video starts, I go back to that day and just have gratitude that a we had the right people, the right place at the right time. That I was I survived it, and now I have the opportunity to. Uh, to share the story and share those lessons and strategies with people so they can face their own personal plane crash when that moment comes. So I get centered by, by prayer. So would you consider that a form of meditation? I would. I, 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 I would look at it. Um, and that's a great way to sort of say it because I think I do meditate because I go to, I go to my mind, uh, mindlessness sort of state where I'm uh, sort of above. I'm not even in the room. Yeah. When I'm praying, I'm sort of out there and then I have to bring myself back in, you know, and reel myself back in to get ready to go into that energized state. This is that moment. So how long after this event, this 
this crash did it take before you thought, yeah, I can grab this. I can become a speaker. I can do more with this experience and become a, a different person, a person who gets out there really sharing my message. Well, the, the only person, Bruce, that called me at the hospital that night, my company didn't call me, was Tony Robbins. And Tony and I, Tony found me and called me. We had a conversation that night. And he and I were talking maybe every two or three days after the plane crash. And he, the one thing that people really don't know about with, with me with Tony is for, the, for those five or six years I was head of security with him, Every time I showed to pick him up, he'd always say, why are you still working for that company? When are you going to start doing something for yourself? You can't be free unless you're working for yourself. You start your own business. And I always give him some excuse. And it's not good to give excuses to Tony. He doesn't put up with excuses. You don't have any excuses. So I'd always come with excuse. So after the plane crash, you know, probably the second or third time I spoke with him, I was actually just landed in Los Angeles. I was going to go on the Bonnie Hunt show and uh, do the Ellen show and all that stuff. And I was in the hotel room. He said, call me. I'll be in Palm Springs. So I called him, and we had a conversation. He said, this is your time. He said, take the bull by the horns. Take it. Go out. Start speaking. Do something to start your own business. As I was, he was prepping me for my media stuff because I had never been in the media and didn't really know how, uh, what to expect. Mm-hmm. So fast forward you know, a few months. He's doing an event in Secaucus, New Jersey, and I was still head of security. And I called him and told him I'd be there to support him, you know. And I told him, I said, by the way, that I'll have probably more media there than you. So just FYI. He sort of laughed and I laughed. But I did. I had CBS Canley show up because it's right across <laughs> the river from New York. That's where it happened, right? Right. So, uh, so you know, a few months later, I was with him in Chicago. And he said, you got to take the ball and run with it. Uh, you know, I'll find another security director. Go take this opportunity. So he was the one who really was prompting me to take this and do it, do something with it where I was speaking at churches and things and red cross events, but I started focusing on how could I really serve this and serve more people at a higher level, not only in, in for contribution purposes, but also for corporations and entrepreneurs. And, and all of a sudden I branched out to books and now, you know, I'm doing workshops and my video series is coming out here shortly in the next uh, about five to six months. We're trying to get that done. So, um, I give Tony the credit for, for prompting me to do it. Oh, that's great. That is really great. Dave, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I'm just wondering if you have a story about bullying, whether it was something to do with that day or whether it's something to do with you as a kid or even as an adult, where mindfulness would have made a difference. Well, you know, this is a sub bullying is a subject close to my heart and for a number of reasons. Um, Number one, people, my favorite uh, you know, comic book person's Captain America, and he stood up to bullies, and that's that's that. So that's sort of that's why I started really resonating when I was a kid with Captain America. But when I was in seventh grade, my father got transferred from Ohio to Virginia, and I started a new school. And I was, you know, where I came from, I was a pretty good athlete. I was a pretty good student. You know, I was all mm-hmm. locked in. But here I show up to a new junior high school. And I'm sorry, I had to prove myself a little bit. Right. And there was a there was a there was a boy in the seventh grade with us, and we called him Captain John Smith. And Captain John um, had physical and some mental challenges. Say it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, back then, they used the word handicapped. I don't think he was handicapped. I think he had some challenges. But there was one boy that I remember one day they started start pushing him around and started teasing him. And I just I went up to the boy. I was a new guy at school. I said, Hey, let's just knock it off, man. Please just you know, you know knock it off. And he sort of looked at me. He, he took a poke at me right in my shoulder. So I picked him up and threw him right into the lockers. 
And then, of course, when that happens, the assistant principal comes, and all of a sudden, you're it's the principal's yeah. office, and now I'm a new yeah. kid. And so what, what happened, though, was the result. Nowadays, I would have probably been suspended for a week or expelled or something. Yeah, yeah. Back then, the assistant principal put me in the office and said, thank you for doing that. He said, no one needs to be pu- up picking on anybody. <laughs> he said, thank you for doing that. I'm not going to suspend you. I'm not going to de- give you any detention. The other guy got it. I didn't. And so that reinforced in me that, you know, stand up. Yeah. You got to stand up to bullies because, you know what, you know, if you don't, they'll just keep doing because they just think they can reinforce it reinforces them. So I tell tell people, I told my, all my kids, I said, if you see someone get bullied, you may get you may get punched, you may get hit, but you got to stand up for them, and ultimately the bully will back down. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's quite a story. Yeah, you know, Dave, it's it's fascinating talking with you. I've got some few other quick questions. They're part of the multi mode round. Just short thirty Good. second answers are perfect. Who is one person that has influenced your mindfulness practice? I would probably say um, the one person is, is influenced me the most was my first mentor. His name was Bill. Mm. And Bill, I met Bill back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And Bill was uh, Bill's story was he took me under his wing. I didn't know who Bill was. He, he wore a flannel shirt and drove a pickup truck. But all of a sudden, after I started finding out who Bill was, Bill owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. Multimillionaire is probably like uh, the Sam Walton of Charlotte. No right. one knew who he was, but he took me under his wing. But he's the one who gave me those life lessons, you know, where you can compress their decades of learning down to your days of execution. So I would say he was probably the one that uh, I would give the initial credit for giving me to the mindset of being more centered and not and not focusing in on myself as much. Right. Tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions. You know, it's when when I'm good to a mindful or centered state. You know, I'm in a, I'm in a peaceful situation, and candidly, I I am I'm less stressed. I focus. I have less anxiety. I focus on other people, and I think that's the big thing. I'm I, I get out of myself. Where there's times when people, when I'm not centered, I know. Like you know, like I mentioned, we were talking a little earlier about you know we got school coming up. There's a lot of tension in the house right now, and I I contributed to that last night. I wasn't mindful, but when mm-hmm. I'm in a mindful state. You know, I, I'm more resourceful and focused on other people. And I think that's that's where I serve at the highest level. Right. Tell us how breathing might be part of your mindfulness practice. Well, I don't breathe as often as in, in the ways I used to breathe. And I need to get back to that. But breathing to me, that's, you know, I would sit on the ground and I would breathe and I would do the shallow breaths and the deep breaths. And all of a sudden, oxygen gets in your body and all of a sudden your mind expands. So mm-hmm. I'm, um, I need to do more of that. I was doing that for quite a while. And I think that's a great way to get centered. And I, before I go on stage, I do take that final deep breath. I know that. So, Dave, I'm going to put your book into the show notes. But do you have any other books you recommend that might be related to mindfulness? I would say the book that I would recommend to people, and it had an impact on me, which is called The Fourth Turning by Howard Strauss. And it's a book that I don't know if it's totally focused on mindfulness, but it gives people a perspective on on how the, uh, there's, the seasons change not only in, in the climate, but they change every fourth, fourth generation. It sort of re-comes back up. History repeats itself. And it's really interesting if you read the book, you can understand why things are happening now the way they're happening now in the world and, and in the United States. And when I started reading that book and I started noticing the patterns, the one thing that now I think uh, it's more than mindfulness, I'd probably say anticipation. 
Because one thing Tony told me, he, he values highest people around him is the ability to anticipate. So that's why I read the book, so I could anticipate what his next move and the next things were. And I think if people now want to get anticipate maybe what's going to happen in, going on in the economy, the world stage, their life, you know, their kids' lives, they, uh, it's a great book, a great read to have. I'll check that out. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Um, I don't know if I have an app to do that or not. That's a great question. I have to think about that one, Bruce. Yeah. I don't know okay. if I have an app. Yeah. Some people find even just a timer or sometimes things where you can jot down to-do notes, things like that yep. can kind of help them to take their mind off other things so that it helps them get That's focused. a great idea. No, I, I've never thought of it that way, but that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give a person who's new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? I would say that... Yeah, you know, if someone who if you're looking to get me more mindful, more centered in your life, focus on something else other than yourself. Focus on your family. Focus on the bigger picture. Because one thing you realize when you go through a plane crash is, you know, every and I, I said this in an interview when I was in, I was did a movie premiere last year, and it was it was a different kind of movie premiere. And I told I said, you know, one thing I realized after I was on that plane that no one really cared. That everybody, if it was white, black, Hispanic, gay, lesbian, transsexual, no one judged anybody else. So I would say that and at that point, I think everybody got centered into themselves to be able to get that outcome. So I would I recommend to somebody, you know, be less judgmental. Focus on the bigger picture. Focus on something outside yourself where you can serve and add value instead of focusing on what's in it for me. Wow, I really like that. And that really is a big part of mindfulness to be less judgmental. Dave, it has really been great talking with you today. How can Mindful Tribe connect with you or learn more about what you're doing? Well, I appreciate that. Um, so the best way to, to sort of learn about Dave Sanderson is my website, davesandersonspeaks.com. We're always changing. I know about your website, but we're always updating things. And But yeah. the one thing is what I try to do is that if you interact with me on the website, if you go out and buy my book, Moments Matter, or buy Brace for Impact, which was my first book, you know, I get back with you personally. There's no no buffer. I want to interact with everybody I personally can because that's my mission, my mission. So that's probably the best way. But, you know, nowadays, my kids are teaching me a lot about the social media. So, you know, I'm pretty, pretty heavily into uh, Facebook on Dave Sanderson Speaks is my business page. On LinkedIn, I'm doing a lot uh, with the business uh, community, and that's uh, under David Sanderson. And Twitter, my handle is Dave Sanderson, too, and that's where I can put out my little thoughts for the day and quotes and things that are going on. And every week I write a blog about uh, about one of the things that happened on the plane and related to a, b- a bigger topic. And um, in the last one I just wrote uh, was about, you know, after a sermon I heard, Bruce, about Esther, about, you know, she was put in that position for a reason, and I think and that's what I wrote about. It. I was like, I think everybody in this life is put in the position they're in for a reason, and 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 take that and run with it. So, you know, my blog is something else I love to have people check out, and that's on my website too, DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. All right, I'll check out your blog. It sounds really interesting. So, Dave, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate all your wisdom. Well, thank you, Bruce, for having me. I, I really uh, I, I love the topic you're, t- you're focusing in on. I think centeredness and mindfulness is something right now this country and this world need a lot right now to uh, get us back to level base. So thank you for what you're doing. You're welcome. You're welcome. Have a great rest of your day, Dave. Thank you. God bless you, man. Yeah, bye now. 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. And as a thank you for listening, I've created five guided meditations called Fine Tune Your Focus, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Download them at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash focus. Just enter your name and email and they'll be in your inbox almost right away. Thanks again, Mindful Tribe. Take what we've learned today and use it to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. And remember, stay in the mode.